if God is unconditionally electing some people to heaven and some to hell, and he's already done that, what do I do? Am I a reprobate? Do I even have a chance to make it to heaven? Am I doomed to live in sin and be tossed into a burning hell? What do you think, dear listener, about a God who unconditionally elects people to an eternal destiny? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkes-Barre in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as the disciple of Christ, stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform, YouTube and Gab TV at 9 a.m. every Sunday, where these are uploaded and other content as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Gab TV, Gab, at, and YouTube at God's Resistance, spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. You will find us in person every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday late afternoon to early evening in the Wilkes-Barre Public Square. And if you're looking to worship with other believers, you can also contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. We are continuing our series here on TULIP, which is the acronym uh, that best kind of summarizes the Calvinistic position. Um, and we have been, this is three parts it's taken to go through the unconditional election. Um, and we may end up doing one after this on the uh, Romans 9 through 11. Uh, I'm not sure yet. We will find out. Um, but this is the third in in a part already on unconditional election building a foundation. I have mentioned some books that I had used before um, or in, in preparation for this, and some that I haven't used but have been recommended and I'd like to read. Uh, one that I had a lot of help from is A.M. Hill's Fundamental Christian Theology, Volume 2. Uh, another great one is Creeds and Contrasts by Dale Yoakum, A Study in Calvinism and Arminianism. You can get that at Shmuel Publishing. Also, um, I have read a little bit of this, but I need to finish reading it. The Foundation of Augustinian Calvinism, written by Dr. Ken Wilson. And then another one, which I haven't read, but was highly recommended to me, is Will the Real Heretics Please Stand Up? A New Look at Today's Evangelical Church in the Light of Early Christianity, uh, David W. Berceau. So I will put those in the description for those that are watching in YouTube and maybe in the podcast description as well. Uh, for you to get those resources. Uh, again, I want to say I've quoted um, a lot from some of these, and I've done that because these people say it succinctly and better than I can. And so I've just kind of compiled all these things together. Hope this is a help to you. And now we're just going to dive right in as we're dealing now more specifically with unconditional election. We first laid the foundation of the sovereignty of God, what Calvinists say and what the Bible teaches 
Last time we did the foreordaining of God or predestination, and that kind of leads us right into this about unconditional election. The uh, This unconditional election is subordinate to predestination. As of the Calvinistic view of sovereignty and predestination, election, election is the logical uh, outflow. Hence, God sovereignly chooses some to go to heaven and some to go to hell based on his own choice without anything to do with an individual. What does the Westminster Confession say? First about election, and then we're going to look into something more about effectual calling, which has to do uh, as a result of the election. All these things so intertwined. I do want to say that the Calvinistic system, just by bare logic, uh, is very tight-knit and holds together. The problem is it's not biblical. Um, but the Calvinistic system, uh, they have all of their parts intertwined again, uh, together with one another. And so logically, they they kind of hook together. The problem is, is that some people don't like certain parts of it. And when they pull one part out, then the rest of the system cannot stand. It stands or falls based on it all remaining together. So if you're a Calvinist, you're either five point all Calvinist or you are not a Calvinist. That's essentially how that works. The Westminster Confession says, by the decree of God, for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestined into everlasting life and others foreordained to everlasting death. Those angels and men thus predestinated and foreordained are particularly and unchangeably designed and their number is so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. Those of mankind that are predestinated unto life God, before the foundation of the world was laid, according to his eternal and immutable or unchangeable purpose, and the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will, has chosen in Christ unto everlasting glory, out of his mere free, free grace and love, without any foresight of faith or good works, or perseverance in either of them, or any other thing in the creature as conditions or causes, moving him thereunto and all to the praise of his glorious grace." The rest of mankind, God was pleased according to the unsearchable counsel of his own will, whereby he extendeth or withholdeth mercy as he pleaseth for the glory of his sovereign power over his creatures to pass by and to ordain them to dishonor and wrath for their sin to the praise of his glorious justice. He's ordaining them to wrath for their sin that he has made them do because they don't have a free will. I, I just can't get over that every time I read through that. Then uh, Westminster, according to the effectual calling or uh, effectual calling being a result of this unconditional election, renewing their wills and by his almighty power, determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Christ yet so as they come most freely being made willing by his grace. So here they are uh, unconditionally elected without anything to do with them. And yet they come to him most freely. Those two things are logical contradictions. The effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man who is altogether passive, see, there we go again, therein until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit, he is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. He's passive, but he's enabled by the um, unchangeable effectual grace where God is overriding his will and doing all of this for him. You see how these things don't make sense. Uh, back to Westminster Confession. Elect infants. Uh, wait a minute. Let me make sure I didn't go over something here. Yes. Elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit who worketh when and where and how he pleaseth. 
So also are all other elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word. Others not elected, although they may be called by the ministry of the word and may have some common operations of the spirit, yet they never truly come unto Christ and therefore cannot be saved, much less can men not professing the Christian religion be saved in any other way whatsoever, be they ever so diligent to frame their lives according to the light of nature and the law of that religion they do profess, and to assert and maintain that they may is very pernicious and to be detested. I would say the exact opposite. Um, The will of man is made perfectly and immutably free to good alone in the state of glory only. This is the Calvinistic framework and doctrine that they say the scriptures teach. Biblically, by the way, it's absolute craziness, nonsense. It's not what the scriptures teach at all. Biblically speaking, Calvin failed at making a clear distinction between national and individual election. I need to pause for a minute. I'm using very strong words um, as I speak about this. And I've said this in some of the previous episodes, but I say it again. I have good friends that are Calvinists and I believe in their testimony. I believe they love Jesus with all their hearts. I believe they're walking in the light that they have. I believe they're Christians. I just think that this doctrine is so against what the scriptures teach, so dangerous if you bring it to its uh, um, the outflow of its logical conclusion. It is a terrible misrepresentation of the character of God. So I use these strong words not necessarily to speak of individual Calvinist people, though I may strongly disagree with them, but this system is heinous and disgusting and blasphemous in the sight of God and according to the scriptures. Again, back to On Course. Biblically speaking, Calvin failed at making a clear distinction between national and individual election. Dale Yoakum says, it is surely true that God did choose the offspring of Abraham for a special purpose, but the eternal salvation of each individual was not thereby determined. Multitudes of individual Israelites have been spiritually lost, though born into an elect nation. Similarly, great multitudes have been individually saved, though not born in an elect nation. Calvinism looks at God through their doctrinal lens and framework. However, what we should be doing is looking at our doctrinal framework in view of the revelation of the character of God. So let me say that again. Calvinism looks at God through their doctrinal lens and framework. We should be looking at our doctrinal framework in view of the revelation of the character of God, according to the scriptures. Two vastly different approaches. How can God be truly just when he is the cause of people's salvation or damnation, irrespective of their choice? God's character is immediately put into question by any thinking person if Calvinism is in view. Calvinism is logically inconsistent with what we know of the character of God. Mental gymnastics must take place to still hold to its views. I've heard another people, other people say this is theological fiction, and it is that way. Calvin says concerning election um, this, when they inquire, when people inquire into predestination, let them remember that they are penetrating, and I'm going to do this with tongue in cheek, that they are penetrating into the recess of the divine wisdom, where he who rushes forward securely and confidently, instead of satisfying his curiosity, will enter in an inextricable labyrinth, for it is not right 
that man should with impunity pry into things which the Lord has been pleased to conceal with himself and scan that sublime eternal wisdom which it is his pleasure that we should not apprehend but adore, that therein also his perfections may appear. Let us not be ashamed to be ignorant in a matter in which ignorance is learning. Rather, let us willingly abstain from the search after knowledge to which is both foolish as well as perilous and even fatal to aspire. There is good reason to dread presumption which can only plunge us headlong into ruin. I say that in this way because it sounds like it waxes eloquent, right? Yoakum's response was this. If we should see parents treating their children the way that Calvinism espouses, punishing them for things that they can't help, we would with one consent condemn them for heartless and cruel partiality. If teachers should subject their students to such arbitrary discrimination, they would be summarily dismissed for a good reason. But when God is presented as doing this, with eternal consequences flowing from his actions, we're asked to believe that his perfection is now appearing. We must not ask why, Calvin insists, but count ignorance to be learning. We must adore God for doing what we would condemn in our fellow man. A character which would be horrifying in an earthly ruler is to be deemed as sublime when hidden away in the inscrutable heart of God. This is a cause of the difficulties of the logical conclusion of election that people, I mean, because of that difficulty that I've just brought up, people have adopted this uh, milder form of Calvinism because they can't jive with that because it is absurd and it's wrong. In this milder form, people have a condition to be saved which they say is the act of faith. The problem with that is that it goes against the rest of their Calvinistic system, especially total inability, which they call total depravity, which really they mean total inability. It flies right in the face of it because we don't, we don't have any ability. God does it all for us. We don't have a free will. And this is where the doctrine of our present day eternal security came from. So long as we believe on Jesus Christ, there is no amount of sin that can sever our relationship to God. However, the traditional Calvinistic position, according to Hodge, a huge proponent, is the only evidence of election uh, being if the effectual calling, that is, the production of holiness. So if you're really saved, you're going to live a holy life, according to Calvin and according to Calvinist uh, teachers. If you really are elect, if you are really saved, you can't lose your salvation because you will persevere and you are holy. That is the final perseverance of the saints, according to Calvinism. And we'll get to that at a later time. So eternal security is a, a, is a problem. It's not. It's it's a hangover from Calvinism, but yet it doesn't even hold all of its parts together. Because people that hold to eternal security, um, they say that it doesn't really matter what you do, you can still be saved, um, even though you may be living a, a heinous and wicked life. It doesn't make you lose your salvation. It just makes your relationship severed, which is also not scripturally supported. Um, why is it then that the Calvinistic view cannot be supported? We'll get to that after the break. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. Visit and like our social media accounts with Facebook, Twitter, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube. Visit our website at www.godsresistance.com and contact us by email at gods.resistance at gmail.com 
or call us at 570-362-7782. So I asked the question right before the break, why is it that the Calvinist view cannot be true? All of what I'm about to say is what um, Aaron Merritt Hills wrote in his Fundamental Christian Theology, and I don't believe that I could add to or take away from it is that succinct and good. He says, the Calvinistic view cannot be true because of its evil influence. Then he has some subpoints under there. It renders all certainty on the subject of salvation impossible. It tends to make the confident presumptuous and the timid despairing. Is it, it is at variance with the gospel invitations made to all men. It destroys the sense of human responsibility and religious earnestness. It brings against God the unanswerable charge of partiality, and it renders the judgment day unnecessary. Those are all evil influences that come from the doctrine and belief of unconditional election. <clears throat> so the only, I mean, who can know if they're saved because it's in God's uh, decrees, you know, who, who can even know if they're really saved? So, you know, the certainty of salvation becomes impossible, the witness of the spirit, because I, I may, I may be fooling myself according to some things that were said there. And, you know, if you can't, if you really are one of the elect, then you don't, there's nothing you really can do to fall away from God. So you kind of live a careless life. I know that there are some Calvinists that don't live a careless life, but then on that other side, they may be timid and despairing because if they feel like there is some kind of sin in their life and they feel like they're supposed to be holy, then they feel like, oh no, uh, I'm not, I, I'm not, maybe I'm not who I think I am in all their lives. They're just, you know, in a miserable state. Um, the gospel calls people to repentance. That can't happen if it's the predestination. And human responsibility is out the window because God's done it all. It brings against God the unanswerable charge of partiality uh, because he arbitrarily chose some to heaven and some to hell. And we don't have any good reason as to why he did that, except that he's all powerful and he can. It renders judgment day unnecessary because God's done everything. So how can any of them be held responsible? They're, the Calvinists, in fairness, do try and make up some strange, uh, different things theological constructs to uh, try and band-aid this problem, but it's not good enough because it's not scriptural. Um, conditional election according to Hills or the election of character is more honorable to God than this arbitrary unconditional election because that conditional election lifts from God all blame for man's doom. That's man's responsibility. That's his fault. It agrees with the commission to preach the gospel to all, because all men have a possibility of repentance and faith and all men can be saved if they will. That's conditional. It also, conditional election, makes response makes men responsible for his sin and doom. You chose to rebel against God, therefore you end up in a devil's hell. Um, it is favorable to diligence, watchfulness, and prayerfulness because we realize that if we don't continue to walk with God, we may fall away. And if we fall away, we may be lost eternally. And this is not to just walk on eggshells as if, oh no, I don't know if I'm pleasing God. You can know when you're walking with God and, and pleasing him and there's room for improvement, all that good stuff. Um, it also, a uh, conditional election, it makes proper and necessary a judgment day because you're responsible for your choices. So that's what Hill says. Also, there are special objections 
against the doctrine of unconditional reprobation of a fixed and definite number of men and angels to damnation. First is the Bible doesn't teach any such doctrine. And Cal, uh, excuse me, A.M. Hill says it very strongly like this. And I believe that this is a necessary thing to say. Calvinists try to explain and excuse this by telling us that God has a declarative and a secret will. His published declarative will is, Come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out, John six thirty seven. But his secret will is that by the decree of God, other men and angels are foreordained to everlasting death, and the number is so definite and certain that it cannot be either increased or diminished. If language means anything, this makes our blessed God a double-dealing, two-faced, lying hypocrite. Those are strong words, but that is the logical conclusion. So, there's no such doctrine taught in the Bible. Also, it is directly opposed to all the revealed attributes of God. It's opposed to his love, which embraces all the world, John 3.16, and is not willing that any should perish, 2 Peter 3.9. It also is directly opposed to God's justice, for it represents God as destroying or punishing his creatures for no fault of their own, just to kind of make this abhorrent display of his sovereignty. And that appears to be unjust to any thinking and feeling person. It also is directly opposed to his sincerity. For while publicly publishing his gospel and inciting all mankind to share its benefits and be saved, he has decreed that vast multitudes shall be hopelessly excluded forever from its benefits and there's nothing they can do about it. That doesn't sound like a God I want to serve. It doesn't sound like a God full of grace and glory and mercy to the praise of his glorious grace. It sounds like a heathen God where they're in dread fear of him at all times. And there's no appeasing this God because he's so unreasonable and unholy. This is craziness. And yet it masquerades as Christianity. Uh, Also, the doctrine of unconditional election opposes God's veracity or his truthfulness. For he declares that he is good Psalm 145, 9, and is not willing that any should perish, 2 Peter 3, 9, and is no respecter of persons, Acts 10, 34, when by his own irresistible decree, one part of mankind are infallibly saved and all the rest are necessarily and infallibly damned. How can God be telling the truth to tell us he's good and merciful and just and right and yet be doing something that completely flies in the face of his declarations? He's not truthful if he's the Calvinistic God. We have a problem there, and rightfully so. We shouldn't continue to just believe all this insanity uh, simply because somebody has a very strong doctrinal um, you know, thing for it. It also um, destroys true holiness. Wesley said, a man may justly say, and, I, and he said, I've heard many of them say it, if I'm foreordained to eternal life, nothing can prevent my salvation. But if I'm foreordained to everlasting death, it is fixed and settled forever and nothing can possibly avert my doom. In either case, I need not concern myself about it. Also, it destroys zeal for good works. If the doctrine be true, they avail nothing. Why should anyone toil and agonize over men if the destiny of all of them was fixed and unalterable back in eternity, ages before they they or we were born? Why bother witnessing to people because God's already fixed it and it can't change? Also, this doctrine tends to make the whole Christian revelation needless. 
One portion of moral beings will be saved anyway, either with or without a gospel. All the rest, by the force of an irresistible decree, will be damned anyways. So even if there were a hundred gospels and thousands more of preachers to preach them, it wouldn't make any difference. The whole Christian revelation is completely needless, um, if this is true. What is the biblical view then? There are several different types of election inside of the scriptures. First, there is the election of Christ as the chosen Messiah and the sacrificial lamb. Then there is the election of nations or other groups of men to special place or privilege. Israel, we're told in Isaiah 45, 4, for Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, the nation was elected. This is a corporate, not just an individual election. Jacob and Esau, they were individuals, but we're told that they were two nations that were inside Rebekah's womb. We are told that in Genesis 25, 23. The prophecy that was in Genesis 25 and 23 was not fulfilled in the individuals because Esau never served Jacob. Uh, the fulfillment, however, was in the two nations that came from those two men. It was an election to service uh, in the sense and not to salvation. The Jews thought that they were automatically saved because they were descendants of Abraham. Luke 3, 8 bears that out. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, as John the Baptist said, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So he's saying, you're not the children of Abraham just by descent. There's an election. There's an election of, of, of grace, which we'll get to later. So that there's an elected nation. Uh, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. So there's distinct election of nations and a distinct election of people that we find inside of the Bible. Um, and then we find, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. So here we find a difference between national election and personal election. Israel was elected as a nation, but they were not unconditionally elected to salvation. Hills wrote, the Jews had been deprived of election for rejecting Christ and their privileges were transferred to believing Gentiles. It was this calling and election of Gentile believers to the privileges of the church of God that constituted the mystery, which was not made known to the sons of men in pre-Christian ages, but now has been revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets, Ephesians 3, 1 through 7. So the Gentiles, they were called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28, and were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4, that we should be holy and without, blame, uh, without blemish. But in all these passages, there is not the slightest reference to the unconditional elections of individuals to eternal life. So there's election of Christ, there's election of nations and people groups. There is an individual election to office or responsibility both within and without the nation of Israel. God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to initiate the nation of Israel. God chose Moses to lead the nation of Israel. God chose David to rule the nation of Israel. God chose Cyrus, a Gentile, to deliver the nation of Israel. God chose the 12 apostles to be his disciples and propagate the church. Jesus answered them, have not I chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil? The election of the church is God's spiritual Israel. So the church is the elect people of God, individuals are elect or are the elect if they are a part of the church because Jesus is the elect one. People are not in the church because they are elect. They are elect because they are in the church. In this election, we're told that the church will triumph, but the believers told to make their calling and election sure. So then we find there is individual election unto salvation also spoken about in the scripture, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. 
Uh, so God knew beforehand those that would be sanctified, and they are the elect ones individually as they appropriate the sanctifying work of the Spirit. In the New Testament, we have the Abrahamic race election displaced by the faith election. Um, so God said they were elect through faith. Also, personal election is in Christ. Calvin and Calvinism makes the cross of Christ secondary to the sovereignty to the sovereignty for the purpose of election. So it's conditional. We are elect in him and we are not to be elected in him. We are to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He that believeth on the son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So it's conditional election as for an individual, according to the scripture. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make the calling your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fail. So it sounds like this is a conditional election. You can, just like nation or people could be cut off from the nation of Israel, they can be cut off from the commonwealth of the spiritual Israel, just the same. And then uh, there are many different scriptures that we can go through. And I do not believe that I can get through all of these right now. So um, I'm trying to think of how I can wrap this up in a way that makes sense. Um, there is no mention of predestination or election in the sense of people's eternity uh, in the scriptures whatsoever. I wish I had more time. Maybe I can dovetail some of these on as we look through Romans chapter nine. Uh, but uh, may God help us to realize what his true election is according to the scripture. It is an election as far as individuals are concerned, an election of faith through Christ. And then he, because he foreknows all things, has elected those that will repent and believe upon him. We find that the that election is conditional according to the scriptures. I just want to encourage you to join the resistance, God's resistance. <laughs> Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons License. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code. If you would like to uh, hear the rest of those verses that I was not able to get through in this broadcast, then you need to go to godsresistance.com, follow the links to the podcast, either on YouTube or podcast platforms, and subscribe for extra content. Thank you.